You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and this week, we are bringing you advice from the one and only Dear Prudence. Well, it's really Janae Desmond Harris. Sure, I'm Janae Desmond Harris. I am the Dear Prudence advice columnist at Slate. She took over Slate's Dear Prudence advice column earlier this year. You know, as we head into the full swing of the holiday season, what better gift could we give to you, the listener, than answering questions about your family and friend troubles and giving you more nuanced solutions than the Internet's perennial favorite of Just Break Up? Which is actually my favorite. My advice to everyone having couple trouble, break up. I think we should break up. (sighs) What? Well, I've been thinking about it, and I think it's the right thing to do. Janae is someone who does not give advice that always ends in just break up. And because of that, she gets some complaints online. I really try to think about what's something this person will actually do. Mm. And that's not always the thing that I think is the best idea. And I find that when I hear negative feedback from readers, they're saying, no, you should have just told her to leave him. You should have just told them to break up. But here's the thing, they're not going to break up. That's the thing, and that's really hard. I remember when you and I were talking when I first got this job, you said, if you were an advice columnist, you would just tell everyone to break up. Yeah. (laughs) And I get it because, honestly, most people should, right? But we know that most people won't. You know, another piece of advice that I like to offer that's usually always very salient is be quiet. You don't have to have an opinion or a comment about everything. Silence is powerful and sometimes even healing. That's my advice. I say this as someone who talks for a living. I know, I know, I know. Anywho, in this chat, Janae and I talk about everything from how to deal with an overbearing adult daughter to Taylor Swift to the group dynamics of religious prayer in an atheist household. With that, let's get to it. Happy holidays. And listeners, thank you for your questions. Uh, We got a lot. And I'm going to start off by telling you one that we're just not going to answer because it was too short and weird. But here was the question that we've been joking about here on the team for the last few days. The question was one sentence, one question. (laughs) Should I leave the family business? Anonymous. That was it. That was it. And I was like, oh, you got to go. Like, there's no, like, the anonymous was like, oh, you got to go. I lean strongly toward yes as well. (laughs) I mean, it's just, I'm comfortable answering it yes. Okay, good. Because you want to. Yeah. A lot of times I think just the act of writing into an advice column gives you so much information about the person's situation. Yes. Like, if you saw a tweet from Sam Sanders that said, ask me for advice, and your first thought was, can I get permission to leave the family business? Then you You should leave leave. the family business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anywho, with that, let's get to our formal questions. Um, My colleagues, Janae and Jordana, have uh, gone through a long list of ones that we got sent to us, and we're going to share our favorites with you and ask you to give our listeners some advice. Here's the first one. It is from someone who calls themselves Bummed in Buffalo. They wrote, Dear Prudence, my love of 10 years has his 32-year-old daughter still living at home. He sent her to a good university, but she has no job and seemingly not many friends. Before the pandemic, he and I would go out five or six days a week, and I rarely saw her. Now I go to his house to make dinner a few times a week. His daughter won't join us at the table, but she hovers around, interrupting our conversation to complain about something one of us has said 
or to demand he fix something she has created to be angry about. She often tries to monopolize his time while I am there. And if we ignore her behavior, she attacks him or picks a fight until he tells me I should go. For example, she often goes on about how she can't wait for him to die. So, quote, her house quit smelling like old people. Oh, my God. He says he is unhappy with the situation but feels trapped. I am starting to feel the same way because this is depressing nonsense. But I love him and don't know how to help. Any advice? Bummed in Buffalo. Wow. That's something right there. Um, Let me tell you, I'm I'm never having kids. I'm never having kids. (laughs) Or dating anyone with kids, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this sounds really hard. I want to validate that. It sounds awful. It sounds like this young woman probably needs some outside help. So I have a piece of practical advice, which is um, you don't have to be at his house all the time. It sounds like this was working before the pandemic. Um, can you have him over to your home? I just wonder if there are any practical solutions to sort of avoid these interactions. But more broadly, a principle that I believe is true is that you don't change people's relationships with their children, Mm. no matter how much you think they should change or how right you are about that. I think it's a losing battle. This is clearly the kind of relationship they've had for a long time. So don't try to manage or control this situation. But I do think there's room here for one good, clear talk. Mm. And by that, I mean just, and this is the advice I give in a lot of situations. Um, The letter writer may have kind of alluded to some problems here or said this made her uncomfortable or showed her discomfort, but I wonder if she's really had to sit down with her partner and talked about the toll this is taking on her Mm. and sort of what her limits are, how much of this she can handle. I think she she needs to let him know very clearly how much this is upsetting her and what's at stake. And then sort of take a step back and see how he reacts. Yeah. You know, I hear it. And I want to know what is the backstory of the relationship between this father and this daughter? I feel Mm -hmm. like, is there something in their history that has the father feeling so guilty that he thinks he Mm. has to keep letting her live in his house and exhibit this bad behavior? I don't know what it was. Reading that letter to you, I said to myself, uh, I wonder if this is a divorced family and the dad still feels guilty about his role in the divorce and how it might have hurt this child. I can totally and it's see like, that being the case. And so I'm like, is that having him continue to accept this really bad behavior from her because he feels bad about, I don't know, not being the best dad he could have been years ago. But to that I say, apologize and live in the now. And the now is... One, your 32-year-old daughter with a college degree is still in your house. Not a good look Mm -hmm. for any parties involved. And two, she's running a relationship. I don't know. Not to say break up with your daughter, but listen, break up with your daughter. Sorry, I'm not going to give advice you are. (laughs) No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right that that's what he should do. And um, if he were writing it, I think that's definitely what we would tell him. I'm just not sure that his partner is going to be able to say one thing and get him to change the way he's related to his daughter for his whole life, which obviously has like deep emotional roots. So I I don't see the relationship changing dramatically. That said, she should make her concerns known and give him a chance to change it before she leaves. Yeah. Is there any advice as to when this woman should know when it's time to totally just leave? How do you know when you reach that moment? Like, what if she has the conversation 
how does she know how to proceed after that and when to like say that enough's enough? I think she has to check in with herself about exactly how distressed she is by this. So is she merely annoyed or is it really taking a toll on her life or is it stopping her from enjoying the relationship? So I think some self-reflection on that would really help. And then on a more practical note, I would have the really clear talk with him and give him like two months to absorb it and take some action. All right, coming up, Dear Prudence answers more of your advice questions, including what about Taylor Swift? Next question from Nicole in St. Paul. She says, I am a geriatric millennial. Stop right there. I don't like it when they say that. <laughs> Makes me feel bad. I don't either because I'm the oldest possible millennial. Wait, what is your birth year, if I can ask? Um, May 1981. Okay, I'm 84. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I think by like Although, the most generous interpretation of millennial, I oh, squeeze yeah. in there as the oldest possible one. Can you quote any lines from Reality Bites? I watched that movie so many times, but so I don't think I could actually quote a line. So then you're probably spiritually Gen X. Okay, I'll take I it. Don't know. Anyway, neither here nor there. Here's anyway. Nicole's question. She wrote, I am a geriatric millennial with no kids and no significant other and live at least an hour from all the closest people in my life. I am also one of those introverts that loves to be social with people she knows, but it sucks more energy being social around strangers. As an adult, I am finding it extremely hard to make friends, especially when not collecting friends through osmosis via children or partners. How does one go about making friends as an adult when you are not the outgoing life of the party sort? Is there an app for that? Nicole and St. Paul. Um, the first thing I want to say is that this is so, so, so common. Actually, there's a Slate podcast called How To, and the October 19th episode was all about this dilemma. So they brought in a woman whose husband is in the Air Force and has moved a lot, so she's always had to make new friends, and she gave some really good advice. I'm going to sort of recycle it here. She said the, the number one way to make friends is to ask for help. Mm. So if you're in a new workplace, you know, asking where do people go for lunch or could you give me a hand with this task or help me understand this this colleague of ours, um, even if you don't really need the help, just asking can create the conversation and make people feel useful and start a relationship. She also said to be okay with being desperate. Mm. It's okay to mm. say, I really want friends and I need help. And I would say you can ask your friends to matchmake you. You could put a post on social media. Oh, um, that's one anxiety. thing social media is me great anxiety. for. <laughs> oh my God. Or latch on to someone else who's doing it. Um, a friend of mine did sort of a friend matchmaking thing on Instagram. Hmm. She asked all her friends from different places to say oh. where they were and what they were looking for. And just that invitation really opened it up for people. So I think just being okay with sharing the need and knowing that you're doing a service to other people when you do that could be really helpful. Hmm. So my editor slacked me while I was reading that question. And she says, this letter writer is engaging in some negative self-talk. And I think I agree. Like that line where she hmm. says, uh, I'm not the outgoing life of the party sort. You don't have to be. You, you know, really like don't. She, and like she says, I'm one of those introverts that loves to be social but knows that it sucks. In it. Like, she's kind of downplaying her skills and not just accepting the reality that like in our current era of internet and living away from home, it's hard for everybody to find and keep friends. And 
I wonder how much of it is not just the difficulty in having friends, but thinking that she's just a worse person and can never make friends and how much that hurts her as well. That's such a good point. I wonder if there's a different way she could have written this letter or just a different way she can talk to herself where she's saying, instead of I'm not outgoing, she could be saying I'm a great listener. Exactly. Or, you know, I love doing crafty activities at home or I'm a big movie buff and I love other people who enjoy movies. So I'm sure there's a different way she could frame this that would feel like she's not operating at a deficit of some kind. Yeah. And like... I also made peace in adulthood with realizing that I don't have to do everything that I do in my life or in my day around other people, around my friends. Mm. You know, like, I used to think that I could never eat alone in a restaurant. Now I love to, right? Right. I used to think that I would never want to go to the movies by myself. That's my favorite kind of night, you know? And so there's also a moment to just check in with yourself, Nicole, in St. Paul, and say... Are you underplaying how much enjoyment you might get from doing some things by yourself and that's okay? Like, do you have this unnecessary expectation that you need to be around people a certain amount of the day or week? Let that go. Right. She does say that she has introvert tendencies, um, even though she appreciates being social. There's a place for an introvert day. Come on. My mom gave me a great piece of advice that I sometimes tell people, you should not feel like you're in enemy territory when you're by yourself. Woo! Woo! It's good, right? I mean, you want to feel comfortable. You don't want to feel anxious and nervous and like you have to fix it just because you're alone. Yeah. Um, Next question. This is about Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. It's from Timely. Yeah, yeah. It is from Anonymous. Oh, my God. Well, first, before that, have you listened to the 10-minute song that's all about Jake Gyllenhaal? I have. I've read a lot about it and a lot of commentary and a lot of people getting like upset about whether it's good or bad. Um, but no, I haven't listened yet. I listened. Let me say this. All the songs are catchy. She makes catchy songs, but she really does. 10 minutes, 10 years later about this man you dated for a few months. I'm not going to say get over it, but I'm going to say get over it. She needs some advice. <laughs> Wait, but wasn't the song written years ago and she just she expanded it? it to make it 10 minutes long so she added oh, she more expanded she it? added oh. more to be like and jake gyllenhaal <laughs> okay. one more I... thing and i'm like okay y'all oh wow now, come on now they say all's well it ends well but i'm in a new hell every time you double cross my mind what uh, what advice would you give taylor swift you know what i would i would actually tell her it's good And the way you can think of it is that you're clearly helping a lot of other people because what you're saying is resonating and it's letting people know they're not alone. Okay. What advice would you give to Jake Gyllenhaal, who's just still in these songs 10 years later? Oh, I would be like, just skip it when it comes on. Like, (laughs) that's her. She's doing her thing. Like, it's, it's not actually about you at this point. Oh, man. Let me tell you, any one thing about writing a song about me, don't do it. Don't you do or if it. you do, do it in a timely fashion. Yeah, exactly. You get one year after breakup to write a song <laughs> about me. After that, I'm filing a cease and desist, buddy. Okay? Can't do it. All right, here's the question from the Swifty. Uh, they're anonymous. They wrote, quote, I've recently converted my boyfriend to Swiftyism. He is not as big of a fan as I am, but he knows and likes lots of Taylor Swift's newer albums, Lover and Beyond, though he's not as excited about the re-recorded albums as me. If Taylor goes on tour anytime soon, I'm planning to buy floor tickets no matter the cost. My question is hypothetical. Should I take my boyfriend, since a live show might make him an even bigger fan and get him into her older stuff? 
Or do I go with the tried and true Swifty who I know would go absolutely rabid with me? This is so easy. Bring the tried and true Swifty. Come on. Or stop being cheap. You love Taylor. Buy three tickets. Call me crazy. That's true. But if it comes down to it, I mean, this friend is going to appreciate it so much more. Yeah. I hate to say it, but the boyfriend might not be around in a few years. (laughs) And the friend probably will. And you'll have this memory. (laughs) And it just seems like Taylor Swift is a... Is a friend experience. Yeah, Taylor would say, don't romantic. bring the boyfriend. She'd say, bring the friend. That's the best advice. Taylor would want you to bring your friend and not your boyfriend. <laughs> Stay with us. Coming up, mixing religion and Thanksgiving. I have some thoughts on this one. Before we get to some more questions, I want to go back to just like your life as Dear Prudence. Um, you crowdsource a lot of your advice questions, and I like it. You will take a question to Twitter and say, chime in with your answers. If I like one or two, I might share it in my response. What was the impetus for that and how's it going? So every week I do um, a live chat and then I do a regular column. And in the beginning, I was trying to answer one of those questions. And it was about, if I remember correctly, a woman who was bisexual but had never actually dated another woman and she wasn't sure whether she should um, apply for, I believe it was like a scholarship um, that was for queer people. And I was just like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to answer her question, but I would love the input of people who actually are bisexual or who have thought about these issues more than I have. So I took it to Twitter And I got some really good responses that I thought were so much smarter than the one I originally sort of came up with. And I think it makes so much sense for an advice column because in this day and age, we all have social media and you rarely make a decision just by sitting quietly by Mm. yourself and thinking. Mm. It just made perfect sense to me that I would ask for input from the many smart people who are out there. So what advice did you end up giving to the woman who was considering whether or not to apply for the scholarship? So... My uninformed advice was going to be, um, you know what, probably don't do it. The intention of this scholarship is for people who are queer, who probably have suffered some kind of discrimination or setbacks because of that, or are going to end up using the platform to like advance LGBT issues. So maybe just pass and leave this one to someone um, someone who's a little more engaged with the community. But I was set straight by the responses where so many people weighed in and said, this person has internalized biphobia, like she is bisexual, whether or not she has acted on it yet and whether or not anyone knows. And we really need to be careful about sort of policing who gets to be bisexual Mm -hmm. and who doesn't. Many people shared their personal experiences with that. And they also pointed out that Nowhere in the scholarship or application materials did it say, you have to be out, you have to have suffered discrimination. And so I said, you know what, go for it. This is yours as much as anyone else's. And um, it might even help you sort of like on your journey to feel more clear and secure about who you are. Yeah. Last question. It comes from Anonymous. They wrote, usually my family has a really wonderful and relaxing Thanksgiving with my family and one other family, my mom's sister's. Nothing big, and we are all in agreement about our fundamental beliefs. No big Thanksgiving blow-ups over here, including religion. We are all atheists. My uncle, mom and aunt's brother, just died. 
And my mother has invited my other aunt, his widow, to our Thanksgiving, which she accepted. However, knowing this aunt, I am certain that she will be leading a pre-dinner grace, likely to be longer than most and very intense, including many tears. She would be the only religious person at the table, and we would be in our home, so the host, my family, would also not be religious. In the past, when I have been at tables where grace is being said, I politely join hands and bow my head slightly, though that is all. However, those have also been places where the host is the only one saying the grace. Question. When the host is an atheist, the guest is saying the prayer. What is the proper etiquette? The easy solution is to bow my head and join hands as I would in someone else's home. But that feels fundamentally dishonest to me. How can I politely excuse myself from a prayer without being rude? Anonymous. So... My disclaimer here is just like constitutionally and personality wise. Um, I don't like conflict and I'm okay with a little white lie to avoid conflict. At a recent holiday, my husband's 94 year old grandmother asked us where we went to church out here in California and we don't go to church, never have. And he and I kind of locked eyes and just communicated to each other. Okay, we're just going to lie real quick here. And so I just put the name of our city together with the first denomination I thought of and told her. Wait, say it. I said, we go to Palo Alto Baptist. (laughs) And (laughs) she said, wonderful. And everyone was happy. And I am fine with that. Um, I'm also not religious, but I'm totally fine with holding hands, closing my eyes, bowing my head and having a moment of quiet meditation or gratitude or just silence before a meal. Um, I don't see that as fundamentally dishonest. And I would challenge the letter writer to ask themselves, who are you being dishonest with? Mm. Also, if everyone else has their head bowed and their eyes closed, you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes because they won't see you. Come on. So you (laughs) you can just sit there. Um, But I get the feeling that the letter writer knows all that. And they're actually asking like a deeper question. Or they have a deeper issue, which is that it's the principle for them. I think there are kind of two levels of responding to this that could help them be more comfortable. One would be um, go to your aunt before the holiday, explain your discomfort and say, you're my guest. I want you to be able to say grace. Um, I'm not comfortable being part of it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to get up and say, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get the gravy. Start without me. And that will be your cue to do grace while I'm in the kitchen. Or if you really want to be bold and it's your home, you can let her know that you're not comfortable with that at your table. Yeah, you're nicer than me. (laughs) Um, I just find this anonymous question asker to be a little self-centered and selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, They point out in the letter that her husband just died. She's a new widow, right? She's going through it. And I think that everyone at this point in the family knows who is religious and who is not. Mm -hmm. So this anonymous person being in the same room where a prayer happens, I don't think that's going to convince anyone in the family that they're no longer an atheist, right? right? Like we know where people stand. 
So there's a reality in which you just sit there, don't close your eyes, and just be quiet. Right. I don't know. I just, I'm someone who prays, and I am a Christian. And I have been in a lot of environments where people either aren't praying or they're praying to some different religion. And mm-hmm. you know what I do? I smile and nod. Right. Let me tell you, I have crashed so many Ramadan dinners where <laughs> I will just do what I need to do to be nice to the host so I can eat the food. You right. know, and it's like I know I believe in my belief enough and they believe in their belief enough to know that, like, hospitality is not going to damage my or their belief. Right. right. Also, to act like you saying I don't want to, you to pray in my house is going to keep prayer out of your house. The thing about people who pray is they can pray silently as well. They can pray silently oh, in their heads all <laughs> right. up and through your house. Right. I think this is a great example of how in many questions, there's an answer that has to do with what you have a right to do. And it's not the same answer that, is the, that means what makes the most sense to do. Um, and again, I'm, I didn't really focus on that part of the question, but I think it's such a good point that you made that this aunt is mourning someone right now. And there's just a place in life, especially around the holidays, for just trying to be compassionate and generous to people when it costs you absolutely nothing. Yeah, it costs you nothing. My auntie can't pray at my house. Psh, your auntie is already <laughs> praying at your house, buddy. Aunties like that, they're always praying. Okay. Right. About <laughs> you right. specifically. <laughs> um, my I th- name. Yes, literally. Let me tell you, if you make her not say her prayer over the turkey, her first bathroom break, she's going to be on that toilet whispering to Jesus. I guarantee <laughs> it. Okay? Okay? It's going to happen. Thanks again to Janae Desmond-Harris. You can find her over at Slate's Dear Prudence advice column. And thanks to all the listeners who sent in their advice questions. All right, this episode was produced by Janae West and edited by Jordana Hochman. And listeners, don't forget, we're back this Friday with another episode. For that episode, we want to hear from you. Share with us the best thing that happened to you all week. Just record yourself, maybe on your phone, and then email that file to me. Our email address is samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. Besides voice memos, we also love to accept cute photos of your pets and your babies and uh, your backyard gardens, whatever. With that, till next time, be good to yourselves. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.